Hello, and welcome back to Friendly Ties. I'm Anastasia, and today I am joined with my friend, Nick. Hello. And we are going to do something a little bit different today on Friendly Ties. We've been talking for a while now about the idea of doing some strategy episodes on here. So we came up with this idea for like a mini a series, if you will, on Friendly Ties that we are calling How Do You Win? And if you've been watching any of our playthroughs or if you've listened to any other episodes or even if you've just been watching John's channel for a while, you may have noticed this trend where Nick, our friend Nick here, is exceptionally good at winning games. And one of the games that he is best at, and in fact, Nick, I don't think you've ever even lost a game of Maracaibo, have you? Yeah, that's true. I've played yeah. now 17 yeah, like times once at the cooperative <laughs> expansion. And yeah, I've never lost one day one day i will beat him and maybe after we have this conversation i'll be i'll be in a position to uh but so we've picked maracaibo and we're gonna ask nick the question how do you win maracaibo yeah i'm super juiced to talk about this game i mean obviously i like it quite a bit and i feel like i'm pretty good at it uh you, you would hope <laughs> <laughs> um given given that record uh we we chose a quite a monumental game uh to to tackle in our first episode here i think one of the things that i really like about maracaibo but is also tough to do something like this is that um this game has a, a dance between like like strategy and like drilling down on specific points right like the game is so grand in arc uh and there's a lot of different pieces going on that it you know your, your end score is going to be like 200 or something approaching 200 right you can't count little points along the way your brain's just going to melt uh so you need to kind of go with the flow and do what feels good for a lot of the game but then there are also points where you're like ah this decision is like worth four points and this decision is worth nine points and uh that you, you need to switch between that sort of like softer approach to, to games and then the more like technical approach and i think that's one of the things it's one of the nuances about maracaibo that i enjoy but is also quite challenging and like how do i win this game yeah. So we are actually going to go ahead and like go, we're going to go into this. We are going to do a deep dive, a strategic deep dive into this game. But that being said, we are going to assume that you are at least somewhat familiar with Maracaibo. There's, there's no playthrough associated with this, but you can go to the Junkets Game YouTube channel. We will leave a link in the description and you can watch. John has done a full tutorial and playthrough where you can learn the game and you can watch some of how it's played if you don't know the game already. But we we will be assuming that you do. And in fact, it might even be helpful to kind of pull out your game as we're kind of going through this. And I think, you know, we're going to just start. We're going to start right at the beginning. I sat down at the table. Here I am. I got two Admiral cards that I'm choosing from. And then I've got my eight cards that I've drawn in front of me. And I need to pick four discard three and i need to shelve one what am i thinking about right now yeah yeah so let's start off just by talking a little bit about the appointed admiral cards so because this game has so many options when i look at those cards that's that's the first place i start in terms of determining where am i going to go and what i'm going to keep in cards this game if you execute everything perfectly on your appointed admiral card by the end of the game you're going to score 11 points and 11 dollars and three extra worker meeple guys, um, which is good. It's not it's not totally game breaking, totally amazing. Um, I bring that up to say that it's it's important to pay attention to this card uh, and make sure that you're driving towards those those general forces there. But if you don't do everything perfectly, uh, that's okay too, right? Like you can get away with with kind of only going part way on some of your goals. Um, from having played a few times, I often find that quests are the most difficult thing to really count on being able to do because quests, as they come on and off the board, uh, are are exclusive, right? If if Anastasia, you you grab the quest, I can't take it, right? It's 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 gone forever, um, and it won't. You know, there's only a certain amount that will refresh. So depending on what other players are doing with quests, they can really get in your way. Whereas something like exploring or uh, combat or even, you know, doing the ship upgrades, you know, removing those tokens from your board, they're pretty hard to get locked out of doing any of those actions. So 
if you're taking one that says go on the explorer track, then you want to take pioneers. If you're going on one that says do quests, you want to take quest hunters, right? So that that if 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 that admiral card can help me make a decision on my cards, that's great because you know technically the like decision space here is like is is very very large. Um, and anything that helps me narrow down, oh, I'm gonna try this this game. Uh, is good right and then i say ah well my cards have synergy so i feel great about myself um okay that's what you're looking for you're kind of looking for synergy usually yeah yeah can this go with this right um and i'll talk about that you know if it let's pretend that nothing matches your admiral cards or your admiral cards are are sort of like what cards you take agnostic um you know you have goals like ship upgrades and stuff like that and, and it doesn't really matter which uh which bonuses you take for that reason the first thing you need to acknowledge is that in that starter deck of the like 40 or whatever cards half of the cards in that deck are sailors pioneers quest hunters and uh master builders right those are kind of i think the like bread and butter of the game especially sailor quest hunter and pioneer so all three of these cards they cost seven dollars they cost you a meeple they all give you two income and then they give you what i'll call one action bump right the sailor makes you a little bit better at fighting the pioneer makes you actually significantly better at exploring and the quest hunter makes you better at completing quests right um in terms of like order of those, I think the pioneer does the most work, the quest hunter does the second most work, and the sailor does the third most work. But I'll also say that I think the base power of those actions are sort of inverted. Like fighting is by default the best action, and so it, it, I treat them pretty equally. Those those three things, even though I think the the powers of those those people are, are not necessarily held equal. Um, and so you know, if I have something where I have like two pioneers or two sailors, that is immediately interesting to me, right? If I can get both of those people out and then just be very good at taking that kind of action, that's appealing, certainly. The other thing that I'll look to, Anastasia, you did this really nicely in a recent game, is whether those kind of like base base employees have a coordinated synergy perk, right? So all of them give you $2 and then they maybe give you two more dollars if you have the appropriate synergy. And so... If you can get, you know, several of them um, that want the same synergy token, that can be a really big boost when you're going through your second lap. So looking for that matchup is also really nice. Um, I'll try to try to pay attention for that. The first several games of this I played, I was like obsessed with the the income idea, right? Because like I, I just wanted, I would see these cards that were super expensive you know, that were like worth, I don't know, they, they cost like 16 money. I, I don't remember exactly which ones, but they gave you like four victory points every lap. And I, the harbor, yeah. And I would just look at that and I'd be like, hmm, I, I want that. I would be four laps, four victory points. I was like, Ooh, that's 16 points right there. Like, let me try to get that down, which, you know, I tried that numerous games <laughs> until I realized that was a failing strategy because of how expensive that card was. And, and you can probably speak to like why that that doesn't work. And then I've kind of shifted now and I get find myself personally a little bit obsessed with that idea of, of creating synergistic income tokens so that I can get lots of money or, or, or finding that way that I can kind of like let my cards kind of work, build on each other to get me more income at each lap and without a lot of extra effort on my hand. That's how I've been approaching my cards anyways. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, Harbor and Conquer Village, which are both the like victory point generating guys from the the deck, I pretty much will automatically toss to the back of my hand. There's almost no way that I'm not discarding them at the beginning of the game. And, you know, this is true in most Euro games, but definitely true in this game. The beginning of the game, you want to generate more income. And then later in the game, you're asking yourself, how can I turn this into victory points? And you make points all game long by going along the Explorer track, by doing the fighting and everything like that. But for your like engine, your rewards, you want income at the beginning, money income at the beginning of the game. And so, uh, you know, you're looking at, at people that will that will do that for you, right? That give you $2 or give you $4 if you have the synergy token. That's what you're really going to be paying attention to. Um, and you're probably going to be paying attention to income for the first two laps of the game and then victory points for the last last two laps of the game. It's the, there's a nice natural progression in this game of like, where's my mindset shifting at, at this point in time, um, which I really like. I think that's actually pretty pretty clean in a lot of ways. I do want to briefly talk about master builders. Uh, they're pretty cheap right there. They cost six money. They give you three victory points, which is a great ratio. Honestly, they're worth it to be played at the end of the game just for that ratio of of gold to, to VP. If you have the actions, it's totally worth it alone. Um, and they give you a discount of one on every card that you're going to play throughout the game. 
I would say in this game, you're going to play roughly 12 to 16 cards. I mean, that might change, but that's that's a good rule of thumb is you're going to play about a dozen to 16 cards throughout the course of the game. So if you play Master Builder at the beginning of the game, it's going to pay itself back in your $1 discount twice over. Uh, really, really appealing card. And everyone picks up on that. You know, if you're a good Euro game player, like you, immediately the first time you play the game, you're like, how is Master Builder not amazing? And you can build multiple of them. And that's exciting, too. And they are. They are very good. But I will also warn you, they are a little bit of a trap on the first lap because playing a Master Builder is actually like taking a reverse loan in a game. You are dumping $6 right now to say, I'm going to get a dollar back every single time I play a card, right? And that's okay. But in the first lap, you are very money constrained. Um, we'll get back to this when we talk about ship upgrades, but you really, really need money in the first lap. If you can play three cards in the first lap, that is amazing. If you can play two is kind of the default. So if one of the cards that you play is the master builder, in that first lap there, all it does is it saves you a dollar or two. But if you had instead chosen to play something like the sailor or the quest hunter, well, at the end of the first lap, they give you that income of $2. So they basically would have paid you the same as what the master builder did, and they give you an action power. So I think that it is very easy to, to fall into this mistake of like, oh, master builders, like they got to come out at the beginning. They're so great. They're really great value. But um, the action economy that they give up is actually quite significant. The other thing to consider in your starting hand are the assistants, right? The the Those blue workers that give you an action space on the board. The two kind of primo ones are the various versions of the carpenter and the, and the explorer, right? The explorer is the one that's like right down by the jungle and lets you move three spaces. Um, that one, you know, is by itself a pioneer, right? Because it, it moves three spaces by default. And if you play pioneers as well, that's that's pretty good. Um, the Explorer is a very solid one. I like the Carpenters. They are generally ones that give you some little perk and then take some actions, right? They're like upgraded village spaces. Um, I think that unless you are playing an in-master strategy, which is kind of a niche strategy, I would just ignore it if you're playing your first couple games, uh, you're only going to want to have one or two blue employees in play. Uh, other than that, you kind of are going to have to skip them in favor of other actions. So if you look at your starting hand, you say, well, I want to be exploring this game, you know, either because of my appointed admiral or because I have a pioneer and you have an explorer. Great. Go ahead and take them like that. That that's a great way to start your lap. You know exactly what you're going to be doing on the first turn. Um, totally valuable. I do think that people sometimes overestimate the power of those uh, onboard employees, because essentially what they are, are actions on the board, but a little bit better. And people will sometimes get into the trap of like, I have to hit every single one of them. Um, but that makes them the slow boat every time and they don't control anything about the tempo of the game. And they're just really at the, at the whim of other players. So leaning too heavily into too many of them can, can be dangerous, I would say. Right, right, right. The very last thing that you're going to think about in your starting hand is what are your first two actions of this game going to be? No one can really stop you from taking your first two actions. And in most games, probably your first action is going to be going to Santiago, right? Because you start with two little meeple people and you might want a third one, plus the action of playing someone down kind of right at the beginning there says, I'm starting my engine or I'm placing, you know, my uh, ex blue explorer guy into play so that I can use that when I go around there. So a lot of times you're going to stop at Santiago, depending on what you're doing. But I, I would say like 70% of games, that's going to be your first action, which means that you have to say to yourself, I want a coffee in hand. I, in general, with the exception of Maracaibo itself, the fighting city, will not go to a city if I don't have an appropriate resource to discard for it. Uh, I don't know if that's just because I'm, well, I do know. It's no, because I'm so actions. stubborn about value. Yeah, I hate, <laughs> I hate leaving stuff on the table, right? So... The other mistake that people make with their starting cards is they get really attached to them. They're like, oh, this is my game plan. And this is what I need to do. You actually don't really need that with your starting hand. You're going to keep those five cards, right? And of those five cards, all I need you to care about is two of them. The second card you're going to play goes on your shelf. The first card you're going to play goes in your hand. Why does <laughs> the first card you play go in your hand? Because when you go to Santiago and you play that card, it then comes out of your hand as well as the coffee card. So you've now played two cards and you draw two more cards from the deck. Whenever possible, you want to be playing cards out of your hand because it lets you filter and draw for more things. 
Mm, mm, that makes a lot of sense. So you're really like, if you're looking at your five cards, you could have three of those, the rest of like the card you put on your shelf, the card you plan to play from your hand, and then theoretically the resource, like the coffee that you want to be able to get rid of. And then the other two, you could look at them for either resources to use at other action spots, or they're just, they're just filler. They're just stuff you're going to discard. Like you don't, because I find that's difficult when I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, like you said, I get attached. I'm like, oh, I want to play all four of these cards. And then I'm almost frustrated because I'm like, I have nothing to discard and I need to get, you know, things, I need to get discs off my board and I want to make sure I have resources to do that. So that, that part of it, you really do have to be nimble with like, okay, just get attached to two or three of them and, and move on or, or know that you're going to shelve those and then, and then pick up more cards later. Totally. I've had a starting hand like that where it was like, of the five cards, I wanted to play four of them. And so on the very first game, what I did was I threw the rest of my hand on the shelf and then just drew stuff off the top of the deck and, and moved around the board from there. Um, that the shelf there, it's not called the shelf in the game. Those are, those are where you put the cards above your board and you can store up to three of them. I forget what it's even we officially call it called. The shelf. We call it the shelf. <laughs> I, the shelf is my favorite mechanic in this game by a million. Uh, I, I think that the hand management in this game is so like concise and well-tuned. And that shelf allows me to just make plays where I feel very smart. It's where I put cards that I say, I want to play this card, but I'm not going to be playing it for like the next one or two turns. It's going to be like three or four turns in the future. And then every once in a while, I get into a situation where I get to that point in the game and I'm like, oh, you know what? I really don't want to play that card anymore. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And so it just lives on my shelf for the rest of the game, <laughs> which is a bummer, right? Because you like you like being able to use it to like sort of cycle the cards in your hand. You also don't need to be beholden to those, right? This is not St. Petersburg. Like you can leave them on the shelf at the end of the game. And there's no penalty for that. I think that's totally valid. A lot of times, by the way, since we're talking about the shelf, and this will probably be the end of me talking about the shelf, I will put the cards that I think, the the white-bordered cards, the kind of extra cards that you don't start the game with but get shuffled into the deck, um, I will put the cards that I think are very powerful onto the shelf if I want to make sure that I play them throughout the course of the game, but I'm just not ready to play them yet, and they're kind of clogging up my hand. The classic examples of that are like the Aristocrat, which is like, costs $11, gives you five victory points, and lets you pop a disc off the board. And then there's another one that I think is called like the Patron, which does something very similar, except for instead of pop a disc off the board, it is get one advancement on a flag. And that like, that you you notice, I said this before with the Master Builder, right? Six to three is a good ratio. 11 to five is also a great ratio. So those, anything where it's like $2 to one point is is a very good payoff in terms of like, this card is doing what I want it to do. Mm, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it that two dollars to one point i hadn't kind of considered like the way the value of money in this game versus points you know in terms of like because that's something that's even easily overlooked right like when you have your cards there almost all of them are worth victory points at the end of the game and this is true in a lot of uh feasters designs like where you're like you're so focused on getting points off the board or getting points off your income you know, your, your income loop that you're not necessarily considering. Okay. Yeah. But every card I play is worth a value too. And you do kind of need to pay attention to that. People really overlook it. I can't tell you how many games were at the end, you know, we've counted it up and it's like, I have 40 points in cards and then the next player has 22 points in cards and that 18 points is the difference between winning and losing, right? Like it's, it really, really does add up pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm curious though, kind of to that, speaking of these cards, you know, one of the things that makes Maracaibo is such a great game uh, to play is, is there's, there are these, you know, different levels of difficulty and essentially meaning how many, how many of the spots are going to have changed and then how many new cards are going to have been, you know, put into the deck. And mm -hmm. I think I've heard you say this and you kind of just said this there is that, if you play on one of those, I I can't remember, it's like beginner, intermediate, advanced. I can't remember how they're delineated, but essentially yep. if you're playing at the highest level where you have a bunch of cards mixed into the deck, do you generally always feel like those unique cards are are really valuable? Like do you do you kind of always think of them as being better than any of the the like base cards? The C cards, uh, those are the C cards, right, that you're talking about that get shuffled into the deck there. They are really weird. There's only about 10 of them. And I think, like, three or four of them are, like, slam dunk. I would immediately play them. Uh, and then the other ones are, like, really niche. So 
like my favorite one is Xavier the pirate. He costs five dollars, and all he does is make you better at fighting. But he's just really cheap. It gives I think he's worth, he's worth two or three points. So he's just like a great ratio of like dollars to points, and he makes you a little bit better in action. Love Xavier the pirate. He's my favorite. Um, one that I know that you quite like that I also like is the the Spanish governor that costs somewhere in the teens, gives you two Spanish flags, and then minus two on all future cards. Like that's a that's a like totally fair value to play in like the second or third lap of the game. Um, does their work uh there's another pirate whose name i forget who costs three thistles or three of the like plant things which Mm. is really bizarre because it's one of the very few cards in the game that doesn't cost money um nor swords and so if you can play that card it's incredible right because it gives you a couple points and it gives you a power for no money which is like totally amazing (laughs) uh but it's it's very niche you know you have to have the right things to be able to play it so just like it's not a snap pick it sort of depends on your circumstances and then the other ones um gloria and the doctor are both like pretty weak cards so there are a few that i think are unfair and if i were to level a criticism against this game is that i think some of the cards are a little bit unfair Mm. Half the game is what we've just talked about, right? Which is the card, the hand management, the card play aspect. But then the other half of it is this loop. It's really cool. You, In a way, you have like a plethora of options. But, but you also don't because you have to be thinking about how quickly your opponents are moving around this loop and how quickly do you want to be moving around this loop and what do you want to do? And then, you know, as you already kind of touched on, where do you want to go where you have spices that work to do? I keep calling them spices. They're not all spices. I'm calling them spices, but you have goods that you can deliver to get this off your board or to complete quests or, you know, to, to, to do different things. So how do you start? And then how do you think about these loops? Great. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the loop. So, uh if you have if you have a copy of maracaiba by the way you might want to pull the board up or just pull something up on bgg so you can see the the numbers and what i'm talking about here because i'll kind of reference sections of that loop but as short as this game can be in any given loop any given round is three actions long right basically someone goes in one of the you know starting spaces that's some distance away from the beginning then they go to like maracaiba or something near it and then they shoot from maracaiba straight to space 20 to end the round so that's three actions and if the three action person is the very first player um then you have three actions that round and there's nothing you can do about it that being said three actions is quite few most players want to do more than three actions i would say that you can generally count on having four actions in a loop um, and you might even get to five if you are planning on getting six actions in a loop i suspect that someone at your table is supposed to be going faster and is allowing you too much leverage right too much too much leeway in what it is that you're doing so someone wants to end the game in about four to five actions right uh and and very rarely it's going to be three so with that in mind essentially what you're doing is you're taking one early action on the loop right somewhere between action space one and seven ish right you're going to take one you might take one early mid action right somewhere in like the puerto plata to cumana that that uh eastern edge of the of the of the loop you are going to take that 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 middle action which will be your second or third action is going to be maracaibo probably um or something near maracaibo depending on what else is going on then you can take a late action so that late action could just be going straight into into space 20 which i call going into port not that there's really a port there but um you could go straight into into the bay of pigs uh uh or uh probably what you'll do is take one of the actions on the latter half of the board like one of the cities that's over there or a lot of times a quest that's over there maybe even one of your employees that's over there and then you will will go into the final space right so there's the early mid early mid late mid and late actions those are the five actions you're probably going to take and realistically you're going to hit i think four of them maybe five depends on your turn order depends on how fast other people are going um but that's kind of what you're counting on and when you're looking at that board i do think that that's an interesting way of thinking about it because i've seen over time that it feels like those early spots are probably the ones you can most count on right because you like when I play assistance, I like to play them in the first few spots if I can, or as far as like you said, the explorer, like over in spot nine, because I can feel like I can kind of count on that. But I feel like everything past Maracaibo, I'm like, I hope I get to this. Like, and maybe that's because I'm taking early spots, but I tend to find that the latter half of the board, as you were talking about, which is like, you know, I consider Maracaibo to port, as you said, or to spot 20, is, is 
I always think of that as like, I'm hopeful that I'm going to get there, even if I go fast, but just based on the timing of things, because like you said, anyone who goes to Maracaibo can just choose to go into port. So like, and then that's just going to like, they're going to obviously get the benefit of ending the round, but then also severely like limit your choices. So I, I, do you kind of think of it the same way? It's like, I don't feel like both halves of the loop are even. I feel like the first half, maybe this is the nature of like how people tend to play it. First half, you have more options. In the second half, you have less. No, I, I love the way that you're framing that. And you, you have more control over the first half, more knowledge over the first half, more assurances that you can get to where you want to get to. Because it's not like, you know, when you're talking about getting to a space at the end, you want to take intermediate good actions, right? You don't want to just go to the end to go to the end to take that action. That's that's not worth it. And then right. another point that really um, helps helps serve what you're saying here is if you are in Maracaibo, it is impossible to move seven spaces, allowing you those three village actions, right? If you move seven spaces, you're going into port, you're ending the round. Right. Uh, and so you can't go seven to to take those three actions, which you can do multiple ways in kind of the first half, as it were, right. um, which is it's just different, right? And, and one of the reasons you might skip Maracaibo is because you really want to take that seven action, but you had other things that you were you were trying to do along the way. Let's talk a little bit about Maracaibo before we kind of go back into the loop and the timing of things. Because going to Maracaibo opens up this third kind of aspect of the game, the fighting. And I see you always go there. Like you, you, you never make a loop where you don't go to Maracaibo. But what I have found, and perhaps this is why I <laughs> always lose, is I find that if I'm the third player to go there, I don't want to go there. Like, and I, because of, like you said, that efficiency of actions, there's only two spots to deliver goods. And if they've both been delivered, I find, I feel like that action is inherently weaker. And you've said to me multiple times, you should go there anyways. And so why don't we talk a little bit about fighting and why, and I'll, I'll be very open ears to convince me why should I always go to Maracaibo? Totally. So, so first of all, let me, let me say that being one of the first two people into Maracaibo is big game. If you can be one of the first two people into Maracaibo, you want to be one of the first two people into Maracaibo. Um, that is, that is pretty awesome. And in fact, if you're playing playing a game where you're third or fourth seat in a given round and you see that one of the players like stops at Santiago it makes it totally valid for you to skip past Santiago because you want to get into Maracaibo before that sucker that decided to take the slow boat here right um (laughs) it's 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 it can be valid based on what your your other action was again you know you don't want to throw any action away just to make your other action good in this game but um it's it's really nice to to get that extra perk in, in Maracaibo of, of discarding that sugar. Let's talk about why why fighting is so great and why I think stopping in Maracaibo is is nearly a default action um, for me in, in most games. Every once in a while, I'll skip it, but it's quite rare. Reason number one, what fighting does is it gives you money, uh, well, probably money, right, depending on what rewards you take, and victory points. Um, the victory point ratio is pretty solid for the first ones. If you are ending the game and you are not at the times two flag in all three, all three nations, I think that you've probably left a handful of points on the table. Why is that? Most nations by the end of the game are going to be somewhere, depending on the game, between like three and eight points. So if we think that a nation is going to be worth like five points, just getting one flag in them, which is so easy to do, is a five point play. Just like really easy, good value. Um, getting up to times two also pretty easy, right? It's just a little bit extra depending on your sword situation. You might even be able to hop from zero to times two just in one action, which is like really nice, right? And like I said, in a lot of the situations, the you know cubes that you're placing into play are also going to generate you some money. And in the first two laps of the game, generating extra money are just very important. So fighting in general is just a straight like conversion of you know actions into money and victory points in a game where generating more money is often quite difficult to do the other thing and i've I've found this over several games is that a lot of times what will happen is someone will go into port i'm somewhere along the back half and i'm like oh god what's my last action my last action is going to go into port so i can fight and if by default i'm always ending my round by going into port to fight then what that means is that I should earlier in the round go to Maracaibo, even if I don't have the sugar uh, bonus because I'm the third person there. 
Because if I'm just going to end the round by going to fight anyway, I should fight first and then have the option of fighting again, going to a different city or going to a village. So I, I'm acknowledging by going to Maracaibo that I would end the round with a fight. And now I'm giving myself options of what I want to do on my last action when someone else forces me to the end of the round. That's the so reason like, why I end up always going there. So what you're saying is if you go to Maracaibo, you don't always then take the fight action at the end of the round. I might, but, you know, in general, um, I, I might. I mean, I, I will, but not always, right? It's, it's because I have now the whole back half of the uh, track to decide what action do I want to take here? Do I want a quest? Do I want this city? You know, so on and so forth. And in general, do you feel like fighting is necessary? Because one of the things, you know, obviously this last action at the round, you can also explore. And I feel we've kind of talked about this. that It, it can be a pretty viable strategy to to run that explore track at yeah. the bottom. There's also lots of opportunities for points and money. Although I felt like you can't just do that. You still have to fight. Well, I feel like the opposite is true, which is that you don't have to explore very much you i think you generally i think you've said this you generally want to explore past like the first marker the one that gives you kind of a bump in the nations and then and that's all you need to do and i i so i feel like fighting does feel more powerful than exploring but but maybe that's just my my sort of takeaway yeah i'm with you i think here's the thing about fighting is that fighting doesn't require infrastructure to be good and exploring does, I think, require infrastructure to be good um, or, you know, good timing, right? If you can leapfrog off of other players on the exploration track, then it changes my calculus of it, right? Like of, of oh, do I want to go exploring right now? But you're right. Like, I really like getting past that, the, the red lightsaber on the exploration track because it gives you three flags, which solves exactly the problem we were talking about before. Three flags is enough to get to a times two in a nation that you've done nothing for. Um, right. And that's 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 good game there and you had some rewards along the way but yeah without without like exploration infrastructure like that move to action is pretty paltry you really don't want to take three move two actions to get past the red line ideally you want to take two actions to get past the red line and then if you have a system set up for it yeah you can keep exploring and if you don't bye everyone else go enjoy your time in the jungle right (laughs) and this kind of speaks to why you say the pioneer which gives you that additional explore step is so powerful to yep. play. Yeah, because, you nailed it, right? Yeah, that kind of gives you just even if you if that's all you do is use it a couple of times just to get past that. The, we call them lightsabers, the first the red lightsaber. <laughs> and if you can do that before everyone else too, even if you don't plan to explore more, you get that you know you get those extra victory points, right? You get the higher tier victory points for being the first one to go over it. So yeah. so I'm curious if you think that you kind of are going to do something at the top. You're definitely going to do Maracaibo. You're going to do the spot at the end. Here we are. Where you you kind of only have maybe one, maybe two other things that you're going to do. And and so what you in that first loop, what are you what are you trying to do usually? Yeah. So I, you know, we I've talked about how great Maracaibo is, and I think the reason, you know, the fighting action is so good is it just gloms onto almost every strategy that you're doing. But it is worth acknowledging that there are a couple strategies where you can sort of ignore, you go a little bit orthogonally to how the game is played. That's the innkeeper strategy where you just get a ton of blue employees, drop them around the map and like make your game plan based off of that. And the innkeeper like pays you tons of stuff when you stop by her place because you have all these friends, right? So that's another, that's one of the orthogonal strategies. And the other orthogonal strategy is actually questing because questing takes an entire action to do, which is taxing. And usually people really write off questing for that reason. But once you have like three quest hunters and you like do some of those quests, the like the payoff is huge, yeah. just absolutely yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and you have to commit though. If you're going to do that, you have, you have to, commit. to commit. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you know to make things even better, right? Like when you start getting lots of quests, they just give you extra points every time. The fourth quest is plus three points, and then plus two, plus two. Like thanks for coming. Right? They keep like cashing you in. So um, there are ways to play orthogonally to kind of this uh, this fighting is important strategy in the game so it is worth acknowledging that but yeah i mean in the, you, you know you asked about like what i do in the first lap and the first lap is, is is almost always stop in santiago play a card then depending on what that card is you know if it's if it's like a carpenter or an explorer i'm gonna go stop at the carpenter or the explorer spot if it is a sailor you know then probably what i'm gonna wind up doing is going seven spaces uh forward pitching my hand for money and then kind of making a plan from there, dropping in Maracaibo and 
you know, from there trying to like play out my cards. So ideally what I'd love to do in the first lap is make enough money to play three cards. And if you three start with cards, wow. three cards, because if you start with eight, nine or ten dollars and you go to Maracaibo and you're you let's say that you're not even the first to Maracaibo, you're the second there. And so you conquer that space. That's three dollars. Right. Uh, and then maybe you get a space that that you can conquer for two dollars if you go to the fighting at the end. Um, if you discarded your hand somewhere along the way, that's two dollars. And if you uh, if you popped two discs off your board and you took that five dollar ship upgrade, you have just made eleven. You know, it's close to twenty dollars, which is enough to play three cards if you if you you know organize it really well. So it's possible. Two is fine. I play two in plenty of games, but if you can if you can get to three in the first lap, that's really amazing. Yeah. And that actually kind of takes us to like the end of the lap, right? So you, one of the things that you've mentioned that's often overlooked in these games is you have this ability to play a card at the end of the round yeah. every time. And you, and for the most part, I think you've said you, you always want to be able to do that. Always, right? always. If you don't play a card at the end of the lap, you have done something wrong. You need to, you need to <laughs> rethink how you play. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like if you take two points uh, at the end of the lap, you've made a mistake. You need to think about how you're, how you're managing your, money throughout the course of the round because you you really want to take advantage of that action you really feel that way like even if you know let's say you stopped and took actions you know late in the loop and then you were able to play cards would you still say yeah don't you know like would you say play those cards now or would you take money and then play that card again like if you have that option would you still not take the points if the option of discarding your hand to get $2 was left on the table, then yeah, I think it was a mistake. <laughs> two, $2 is worth more than two points at the beginning of the game. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. We've gone through the first lap. We get to this income stage. And how do you kind of think about like the value of the points for going into going into port, as you say, going into the end first versus kind of where you want to be in terms of income on the tracks and stuff, you know, kind of in the first loop. I don't, I don't think about those things. I, um, yeah, I just, I, I look at my starting hand. I say, you know, oh, I have two sailors. I'm going to play two sailors. I'm going to fight a bunch this game. Um, or, you know, I say, okay, that's not really the plan. I'm going to play an explorer and go a little bit on that track. You know, I, I make what my plan is from my, you know, two cards or whatever it is that I chose at the beginning to, to play out, play those cards, execute that action. And then I expect that the round is going to be over, right? Either because of me or someone else. I don't take an action if it's weak, right? Like I, I'm not going to, on my first lap, take a, um, less than seven space village action because it's not like i have extra money to play tons of extra cards i would rather end the round and play out my last card there and fight and make other people kind of like push along i would rather drop in a city and start popping off those ship upgrades ship upgrades are are much better in the beginning of the game uh, than they are later in the game so yeah i just i do what feels good and if there isn't an action that feels good then i am i'm pushing stepping on the gas and just moving along. And do you ever think about that? Do you ever go in rounds and say, you know, we talked already about like the first two rounds, you talk, you think about income and then the th- third and fourth round, you're thinking about turning that income into points. So do you ever kind of shift your focus? Okay. Now I really want to think about like the income or the points I'm generating as I go into, go into port here. Yeah. I mean, like I said, in the first two rounds, I'm, I'm asking myself, how can I maximize my income? And in the first round, the only thing that I'm really counting is my money. Do I have enough money to play the third card? If I don't, what two cards am I playing? And how am I getting the money to do those things? You can, you know, in the first lap, not pop off the discs that give you $5, which I think is the most important one and should almost always be your very first action or first first ship upgrades that you take. But if it's not, you need to have a very explicit plan for what it is that you're doing without popping off for those extra $5, right? So that's what I count in the first lap. The second lap is a little bit more wishy-washy. It's actually okay to like move into victory points in the second lap. The second lap is a lot more where I like try to do what seems good based on the circumstances of the game. If I have one of those people that cost 10 but requires three Spanish folks on board, then I like I'm looking to see like is this a card I can actually play this lap because those cards are amazing. Um and then in the, the in the third and fourth rounds, I'm asking myself, how am I ending this game? So in the third round, it's a lot less about what cards I'm playing and more about have I moved far enough on the exploration track from what, what my strategy is this game? You know, if I'm running, if I'm running an innkeeper strategy, then like 
I just need to be hitting all of those those points, right? I just need to make sure I'm like managing my time so that I can do all those things. I find that in a lot of games, the third lap is the shortest. Someone doesn't know what they're doing. So they go boop, boop, boop. And then the, the round ends. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's a pretty common thing. And then people panic in the fourth lap um, or someone runs out of money in the fourth lap. And the fourth lap is all like, what's the biggest bang for your buck? What are those end game cards that you can play? Should I be buying like the governor or the aristocrat out of the white bordered cards and then finishing my plan, right? Do I need to get to the end of the exploration track? If I'm the very last person to take a military action, we haven't really talked about this, but I'm generally very blase. I'm super mercenary about who I work for. It's whoever gives me the most military actions is generally who I go with in the game. I don't tend to stick with a country and really... Um, hammer it that much i just it's a it's a preference one way or another i just work for whoever it's convenient to work for at the end of the game that changes a little bit where i might suddenly say like okay i have a lot of flags in england so i really want to make sure i push england you know into second place or into first place it's it's tighter it's easier to actually count your points in the last lap i would say so that's really interesting because usually when i'm looking at the third or fourth lap i'm I'm starting to think about how do I play these high value cards or we just touched a little bit on it, you know, these end game cards and, and we always play with all the end game cards face up, but as written, you're supposed to turn them up each round, but usually we just turn them all up at the front and kind of that helps to pick some of our strategy just a little bit, barely though, usually. I and mean, then I'm usually, we didn't even talk about it. I'm usually not thinking about the end game cards. I'm curious if you are. Yeah. I, I almost never, I almost never do because um, I mean, since we play this variant where we flip them up at the beginning, like I'll look and see if I can cross-reference something, right? If I have a quest hunter in my hand and a thing that my appointed admiral wants me to do six quests and the end game quest hunting thing is available, like, yeah, okay, that's going to push me into, into doing quests. But most of the time, it's just sort of like, there is going to be something you can spend your money on. Like one of those <laughs> end game point things is going to be worth 10 to 15 points for you if you have you know executed some kind of strategy and if not worst case scenario you're just buying the like really high value white bordered cards out of the deck the governor which is one of the white bordered cards is i think it's like nine points for twenty dollars so that's if that's your worst case scenario that's not even that bad right so you don't think it's strictly like you don't think I've got to play an end game card. I almost always do, but the difference we're talking about here is probably five points at that point. You know, if that's and and that that might make the difference between winning and losing, but five points is not huge in a scope of two hundred. I think I've seen you actually buy two of them. Do you often try to do two if you can, or? Yeah, I mean, because my strategy is so geared towards making a lot of money, and because I end up doing a lot of military in the game, I have a lot of cash usually by the last round, and so generally those end game scoring points are, are are worth more so i'm curious then like you talk about how you often do military and that is the case when when you and i play this game which we often play three players with our other friend you and him almost always focus on military you guys are like just go to, go to town on military but then you and john and i played this game and john and i were like all about exploring and like we just kind of were like mm, military whatever is over there and as a result you didn't get nearly as many points as you might normally get from military because nobody else was really helping you with military it also meant you could take all the good spots and do those other types of things and 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 john was still focusing on it and so was i but but there wasn't it wasn't the same level of competition and so i'm curious how does the way players playing change how you approach the game do you still always generally kind of go hard on the military or do you kind of like does that ever kind of shift and change based on the the table space i think adapting to the other players is really important in that game that you mentioned like i think i had two sailors and so you know fighting was just always so good for me that i kept doing it even though it ended up not being as great because the two of you were not like boosting the value of that which i actually thought was really wonderful that's uh made that game quite fun i remember a game that i played it's like my third game of this that i played and you know we kind of at that point had this like group thing thing where like military is is like busted and so like the other two players just went like crazy hard on military they had like the galleons and sailors and like just would stop at the military every single time and i ended up just kind of like stopping in the military like grabbing flags i wouldn't like fight for anybody because it was too much effort and i would just like boost up and like they were you know times four times five like getting getting points for each of these things and i was times two or times three um but i was able to like leech enough points off of like all the work essentially that they had put in that everything else that I was doing that I actually had plans for, which I think in that game I was doing an exploration strategy ended up, you know, overcoming them. So 
if if players think that military is amazing then all you want to do is leech points off of them by you don't you don't need to like even help the military you just go and you're like i support spain hooray give me two flags see you later like you know you just you just like do this fair weather fan thing and <laughs> and join countries that it seems convenient so i guess that brings us back to like the shipboards this is kind of yeah the, if there's a fourth component if, if the hand management was the first and the the game loop was the second and military is the third. Then there's this, this fourth piece of the game, which is, which is, you know, a la great Western trail, this idea that you've got a, a board in front of you with different discs on it and you unlock these discs and they give you different benefits, different points, different upgrades. But it does seem that there is sort of a, I don't like to say like a prescribed way to kind of go about them, but there sort of does seem like there's a kind of a best first action, you know, but I'm curious how you kind of think about that board in front of you. Yeah, I really like this board. It's one of my other favorite mechanics in this game. Um, You're right. Not all of the things are created equal. And I think that's kind of a shame. Like it would be nice if there was a little bit more in the way of unique decision making um, over the, the number of times that I've played it. But I like exploring this board. I like trying different strategies from time to time. If you are playing this game and you want to just be be good, the like the kind of the first time, and you're trying to figure out what to take, the first thing you should take is five dollars. That let that you know immediate insurgence of cash in the first round is really helpful. And then the second thing you should take is a hand size of six because it it gives you the leeway to kind of make different plans or have the appropriate cards to discard for quests or for goods that you need. And those two I think are good in every game, even if you're amazing at this game. Those those two are, are good unlocks. Um, I will, in probably 80% of games, unlock $5 first. From there, it gets a little bit more nuanced depending on what my my gameplay is and my strategy is. I've recently started unlocking the third tier of the military options quite early. Um, that is a good option if you are going pretty hard on military, like if you have sailors, so you have extra swords floating around that you want to use. It's a good option if you have played um, blue employees onto the board because you get more money for for conquering those places, which is just always nice um, and, and quite reliable. And just having that third option there allows you to use the swords you get from the military action more. So I, I that action space is unfortunately one of the hardest ones to understand. And I think we kind of like we're cool on it for a while. And it's, it's a little bit hard to explain to new players, honestly, uh, but it is quite good. The one that gives you three victory points and allows you to take a card off the offering row for $0 is quite good. Um, That allows you to choose either really good cards that you see on the board or, you know, the specific good that you need or the specific thing for the quest that you need. I would say I I would maybe even argue that that one is better than the six card hand limit. Um, And the two of them together just allows you to like, if you're running a quest strategy, like you want six cards, you want to be able to draw off the board. It's no question about it. I will say that I've cooled a little bit on it recently because our group has has seen the the power and has been convinced by by how great that is. And if every other player has this thing unlocked, it's less good for you because all the good stuff gets kind of like soaked up off the board. Um, And then you tend to have an offering row that's like a, it's like, you know, three of the same good and like a crap card that nobody wants, right? So you're just like, (laughs) all right, well, (laughs) now I'm less excited about this. I was actually about about to ask you, like, do you ever think it's valuable to pay a dollar to take a card off the offering row? But you know what? That is completely dictated by the fact that I generally tend to think the offering row is kind of lame because so often we are unlocking this, these abilities on our boards and and kind of constantly churning through it. The card's got to be perfect for you. It's got to be a card where you're like, this is this is an amazing card and I can't believe no one has picked it up yet. Or it's like, I need to complete this map quest. I see the map there. I'm taking it because I don't want to YOLO off the top of the deck, which is then it's a completely appropriate to pay the dollar for it. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. One action space that looks like it's really spicy is the one that lets you take uh, more actions for having moved fewer spaces. The like the village actions, like only, you only need to move two spaces to take two actions. Every once in a while that comes in handy, but I will say that it is not as good as it looks. Like in most games, it's like, oh, action, like action efficiency for less stuff. That's great. Um, in this game, it doesn't end up being as great because the tempo of the map is controlled by the other players. So it just gives you an extra kind of like a little bit of extra leeway if you want to take village actions ends up not being that good most of the time. Yeah. We kind of talked about that, right? Where it's like, I was talking about how it is, there's only these, like you, you basically are going to get like 
four or five actions, if you will, and you already have several of them sort of dictated. And the fact that, you know, going to a city and doing its action, say Maracaibo or completing a quest takes a full action. Right. It means that you might have less opportunities to take a actions than you would otherwise. I mean, in Santiago, maybe you're going to get one, but I keep finding myself wanting to do that space, wanting to find a way to make that work more. But in general, I found myself not being in situations where I was taking a actions. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And similarly that, that, uh, those enhanced action spaces on the left side of the upship upgrade board are also not that great because you don't wind up taking a bunch of letter red letter a actions in the, in the course of the game. Um, and a lot of them end up being for playing out your cards. So it's nice. I'm not saying that it's bad and, and you, it's a, but it's a little edge. It's a little perk. And I oftentimes find myself doing actually what you suggested, Anastasia, which is just taking the three points and the six points and moving on with my life and making my game plan off of what the cards are that I've played. I'll be bold and I'll make the statement that if you don't unlock that action with the four checks that says three moves or four dollars and four points or go to the next tier of uh, military flags, one of those options is always great. If you don't unlock that in the game, I think you're behind. Uh, I think it's it's a huge mistake to not get there. So unlocking four things and then making that be your fifth or sixth unlock if you know you're going to get there is is pretty crucial. And the one right above it that lets you take the action that puts a disc in a village is is totally garbage. <laughs> it's like <laughs> al- almost never useful. I've done it like once across every game that I've played. It's always been disappointing. Yeah. Do, would you have any like higher level thoughts? Anything else you wanted to kind of share? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuances here. The white bordered cards, you know, might give you a strategy that's just sort of like unique or or it's a it's kind of a little edge that just changes how you how you play. But those white border uh, cards being the ones that are the C cards, like you said, that are kind of mixed in. Well, it it could be the C cards, but I'm talking about the cards. So at the beginning of the game, you, there's brown bordered cards and white bordered cards. And when you deal out the initial hand to everybody, you take the brown bordered cards. And then there's these white bordered cards. You shuffle 40 of them into the deck at the beginning mm. of the game. Mm. And so they're similar but different and some of them are just like right there's the major harbor which is just better than the basic harbor cool whatever right but there are other ones that um you know in the recent game that we played you played like the merchant which was like discard two similar things as your last action and get some money right like kind of like allow you to to, to play the game a little bit differently what the last thing to remember is just that you're probably going to dabble a little bit in everything but picking something and being very good at it uh is is generally better right be it be it that you're exploring or you're fighting or you're questing um those are those are the three main avenues in this game and if you play a game you say i'm gonna be pretty good at this this game and acknowledge that i will take the other actions just like here and there when it's convenient or when it makes sense you're you're probably off to a pretty good start for for getting better at this game yeah for sure okay well i think that's gonna wrap up our thoughts on on or really nick's thoughts on how uh (laughs) (laughs) tell me how you win maracaibo we want to invite you guys to comment on the youtube version of this podcast we're going to put a link in the description come on there let us know what you thought let us know what you thought about this type of content and let us know what you thought about the different uh strategy tips and the different ways of thinking about the game like what do you agree with what do you don't agree with what are some of your experiences if you have any questions about the game and uh, we'll be back with some more post-game discussions some more of this maybe some other types of stuff next time we see you on friendly ties yeah bye everyone